Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, welcome to The Spill, your daily pop culture fix. I'm Laura Brodnick. And I'm Key Reese. Dialing in from sunny Queensland. I made it. I'm here. It's hot. It's humid. It's dusty because I'm back in the cupboard, baby. <laughs> I love that you made it. I'm so happy. And soon we'll be in the same state again, I pending know. that I can get across the border. We'll see. It's like the great escape. Well, on today's show, everyone is talking about that new Jennifer Aniston interview, even though it's the same content that she's been talking about for decades. And we think we've nailed down exactly why she keeps agreeing to these interviews and why everyone keeps eating it up. And it's linked to the one and only Taylor Swift. So we're going to get into that. But first, the entertainment news headlines of the day. I have news. What's the hot gas? I want more headlines. Well, to kick it off today, the nominations for the 79th Golden Globe Awards were announced with the newly appointed Hollywood Foreign Press Association President Helen Hona and rapper Snoop Dogg doing the honours. So Belfast lead the pack with seven nominations apiece, which include director, screenplay, drama, leading and supporting actor and actresses. Jennifer Lawrence and Leonardo DiCaprio's new Netflix film Don't Look Up picked up four nominations for Best Comedy or Musical Screenplay and nods for both Leo and Jen. The category for Best Actress in a Drama is stacked. So Olivia Colman for her role in The Lost Daughter is up against Kristen Stewart as Princess Diana in Spencer, Jessica Chastain for The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which I saw the trailer for the other day and looks so good, Nicole Kidman as Lucille Ball in Being the Ricardos, and of course Lady Gaga for House of Gucci. The remake for West Side Story, which is directed by Steven Spielberg and King Richard. So that's the biopic about Venus and Serena Williams and which Will Smith plays their dad. So those two are both up for four nominations. Succession was the clear TV winner, scoring nods in five categories. And Squid Game is up for three noms, including Best TV Series Drama, Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor. Yeah, it's so funny watching the nominations this year because the caliber of TV and the movies nominated is excellent, but it's such a mess behind the scenes. It's literally like when I was watching this announcement video, it was like watching someone sit in a house and the house is on fire and they're saying, come in for dinner, it'll be fine. And you're saying, oh my God, your house is on fire because the Hollywood foreign press is in a bad way right now. Like they had that huge investigation scandal last year following that report about all the corruption and also the fact they never had a black member in all the years that they've been doing this and how much money had changed hands to buy awards. You then had all these networks and celebrities denounce the awards, give their Golden Globes back and say they won't participate going forward. And they also currently don't have a broadcast partner. So, like, they're planning to throw this big party, but they don't have a venue. I heard it's going to be on YouTube. Like, is that it? That's really sad if it's on YouTube. It's so sad. 
how the mighty have fallen is what I'll say about that. I know. Like, it seems like it should be such a big thing. Like, normally, like, Golden Globes, we'd be all over it. And all the celebs would be posting about their nominations. I've barely seen a peep out of anyone. Like, everyone's just pretending it doesn't exist. It's wild. Yeah, so I really wonder what attendance is going to be like. I'd be surprised if anyone's going to go. I feel like it's just going to be Snoop Dogg in a room alone talking to a pronouncing audience names. pronouncing people's names wrong because he did the nominations which again was wild so yeah like great nomination list questionable future of the whole awards is what I'll say okay for the next headline I have to put a spoiler because it seems there are still some people that haven't been able to catch and just like that the sex and the city revival so we're going to be talking about one of the biggest spoilers so skip 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 so you don't get spoiled 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 well, this is perhaps one of the best responses from a brand in modern day history. So following the premiere of And Just Like That, commentators were quick to dub the episode as a PR nightmare for Peloton. So that is the American live stream at home exercise equipment and murderer of big. Okay, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so the story goes that Peloton knew that one of its exercise bikes would be featured in the app. It just didn't know that one of the show's most beloved characters would die of a heart attack after completing a ride. So following the episode, Peloton stock plummeted and there were some very nervous and very sweaty executives, especially so close to Christmas. They are looking at those dollars falling. Well, yesterday, the brand bounced back in a big way with the release of a now viral ad featuring a very much alive Mr. Big, aka Chris Noth, real-life instructor Jess King, who played the fictional Peloton instructor Allegra in episode one, and a voiceover from actor Ryan Reynolds. To new beginnings. To new beginnings. You look great. I feel great. Shall we take another ride? Life's too short not to. (laughs) And just like that, the world was reminded that regular cycling stimulates and improves your heart, lungs, and circulation, reducing your risk of cardiovascular diseases. Cycling strengthens your heart muscles, lowers resting pulse, and reduces blood fat levels. He's alive. Well, celebration of this very big win for Peloton quickly turned to how the F did they pull this off in four days? Ryan Reynolds, that's how. So speaking to The Hollywood Reporter, Ryan Reynolds clarified that plans were made after the episode aired and he called it pure luck, revealing that his production company, Maximum Effort, had been coincidentally talking to Peloton the week before, saying that Peloton CMO Dara Trisade had emailed us right after the episode aired and we all knew it was just what we had to do. We try to do these things in a way where everyone wins, Peloton, Chris and the show itself. So The Hollywood Reporter also confirmed the time from conception to cameras rolling was just 24 hours, cost about $80,000 US, and it resulted in what they say is $900 million market cap restoration for Peloton, whatever that means, but it sounds like it's pretty good. Okay, but look, there is a little bit of an origin story to this superhero, okay? And I need to touch on it really quickly. So in December of 2019, Peloton released a Christmas advertisement that did not go down so well. Basically, the TLDR of it is that a hubby gifts a Peloton to an already like super fit wife for Christmas. His wife ends up making a video thanking her spouse for the gift. So she's like vlogging her classes over a year, getting up at 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. and being like, I can't do it. And then in the end being like, I didn't realize how much this would change me. And many people thought that the ad implied that basically husbands should get their 
already fit wives a Peloton to keep their wives in shape. Twitter went wild and many called for the ad to be removed, but Peloton was like, nah, we're into it. We're not going to take it down. Three days after this advertisement was live, Aviation Gin, a little gin brand owned by none other than Ryan Reynolds, released an advertisement featuring Monica Ruiz, who was the actress in the Peloton Christmas ad, and she reprised her role as the woman whose husband gave her a Peloton. So in the ad, she's sat in the middle. She's got a girlfriend either side of her, and she's looking very deflated. Her friends are kind of like unsure what to say, and she breaks the ice by saying, this gin is really smooth. And her friends are like, oh, well, do you want another one? And then they start to say, you're safe here. And then they cheers to new beginnings and the wife proceeds to basically down every single martini that's on that table. And then as the ad is kind of shifting away to a picture of aviation gin, one of the girlfriends is heard saying, you look great, by the way. And at the time, Ryan Reynolds was the first person to tweet the advertisement and he commented, exercise bike not included. So he kind of has a bit of a history with Peloton. He knows what he's doing. He's the real winner in all this. Like everyone's like, oh, who's the winner? Sex in the City, HBO, who like produces the show or Peloton. But at the end of the day, it's just Ryan Reynolds who's making bank off this whole situation. So Jennifer Aniston is making headlines again, thanks to being on the cover of the new issue of The Hollywood Reporter. And it's the interview this week that's had everyone talking, even though, as Key and I noted when we were trying to talk about how we were going to cover it, it's the same kind of story notes that Jen Aniston has been talking about for the last couple of decades. So in the long-form interview, which is entitled Jennifer Aniston Has No Regrets, they go through a lot of her career and life and kind of where she sees herself now as an actress in her 50s who's taking on all these big projects. And the journalist asks, how do you think that Hollywood sees you versus the way you want to be seen? Has that changed over time? And Jennifer Aniston makes a really good point where she says, I was the girl next door, the damsel in distress, the brokenhearted, your traditional rom-com themes. And at a certain point, it was like, can't we do something? Something else, which is kind of what we wanted to talk about today because through the interview, they bring up all of these ways that Jennifer Aniston has been known over the years. And she talks about them herself, but she also leans into them as part of her brand. So she talks about always being seen as the brokenhearted damsel in distress. She talks about always being seen as the woman who had a career but sadly didn't have kids, the one who was left on the shelf, the one who was jilted by these Hollywood men, how she's kind of this unlucky in love woman, a bit of an outsider a bit of an underdog who's only now kind of risen to the top, which for someone who has long been one of the most successful and highest paid actresses in Hollywood is a really interesting take. So it kind of got us to thinking as much as I don't think that she's made this narrative around herself happen as the underdog of Hollywood, I feel like she definitely is leaning into it and she definitely uses it for clout in these interviews. And it's almost like she's cultivated it over time because she's like, well, if I can't change this, I'm going to lean into it. And I just think it's interesting how we look at some of the world's most successful and conventionally beautiful women, but the only way the audience can relate to some of them in some ways is to see them as these underdogs, to kind of make them be more relatable instead of these women who are up on pedestals. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because if you go the one way, if you go like to the Gwyneth Paltrow route where you fully lean into all of your privilege and all of your beauty and all of your richness, you know, you kind of get judged for it. But if you do the other way where you kind of 
lean in on those things that make you really relatable, people are still kind of like a bit miffed by it as well. It is a thing that I think we're seeing more and more, and we've spoken about this before. It's like when we were growing up and watching rom-coms and everything like that, it was always about like, you know, you'd wanted to be the popular kid, the pretty popular kid. But now that's so turned to the complete opposite where you want to be like the loser, the outcast who like then blossomed into this beautiful swan later in life. Yeah, exactly. Because when this Hollywood Reporter article came out, it was everywhere. Everyone was writing around it. Everyone was reposting it. Everyone was saying like, good on Jennifer Aniston for pushing out against this. You know, our colleagues at work were talking about it, how she'd been asked the same questions over and over again. And the reason you and I have sat on this for over a week, even though I feel like we've talked about this nearly every day in our planning meetings. Yeah. And we're just like, we don't know what to do with this because she's not saying anything new. She's saying the same thing over and over again. And we are eating that up. Why is that? And that today is kind of how we landed on the idea behind it. Because the thing about this story is that Jennifer Aniston it seems like she can land a Primo magazine cover whenever she wants. I mean, obviously, she's got a lot of kind of bigger projects now, movies and TV shows. But even, you know, a couple of years ago before she was on this new role of success, she could always land these big glossy magazine covers, these big kind of tell-all interviews, even if she was just launching like a new brand of her perfume or she was the spokeswoman for like a new water company or that sort of stuff, things that wouldn't normally land you this amount of coverage. But because it's her and people just love this narrative around her, she always could. And as much as she says in the interviews, like, I don't want to be known as the woman who was too unlucky to find love and have children. I don't want to be known as the woman who was always pigeonholed into being a comedy actress and could never be a serious actress. And I'm only now in my 50s getting my due. But at the same time, the celebrity in their camp control the questions that are asked in these interviews. You know, once you're at her level, not for everyone, of course, but when you're at her level, you would control some elements of the questions that are asked, the tone of the interview, what they want to talk about. So I feel like she and her camp have very carefully cultivated this emerging underdog status over the years because it's serving her very well and it's making her very relatable. And the thing about it, though, is that it does work. (laughs) Like... When this first article came out, and I think it was the fact that the pictures are just so gorgeous and it's kind of like, I'm going to say this dumb line, as you've never seen her before, like she's super playful, her hairdress is featured in some, like it's really refreshing and kind of like, it's still super high gloss and like very styled, but it's like Jennifer Aniston is in her 50s and she is finally getting her due, you know, like it does work this narrative that they are weaving. And then when I was like, we should talk about this. And you're like, yeah, but what else are we going to say? And I was like, damn it. It's (laughs) happened again. I've been fooled. (laughs) But also I look at those pictures. Everyone's like, we've never seen her like this before. Yes, we have. We have. All of her photo shoots since she kind of had the breakup with Brad and since Friends ended. Jennifer Aniston has always been photographed the same way, very kind of earthy, very natural, glossy looking, looking out through a beach or looking out through her kitchen. Like, and I'm not saying that in a bad way. You know, I think it's important to have your shtick and how you look. She always looks the same. And it's like every time she gets unveiled, veiled to us, we all gasp and say, wow, amazing. But it's the same reveal over and over again. And she's also one of the few actresses who carries her personal brand through her movies. Yeah. Like she's not the kind of actress who's going to go through, like she did it once for Cake and didn't get the Oscar like everyone said she would. And then I think she threw up her hands and said never again. And since then, all of her characters on screen also have this kind of earthy, neutral 
very straight hair, neutral lip kind of look like, you know, all her characters mirror her. And I think it's because she's so aware that that brand is her likability points for people. But the flip side of this is she's not the only actress doing it and she's not the only performer doing this because the other person that I've kind of been marveling about this over the last year who does this perfectly well but with a completely different generation is Taylor Swift. I mean, obviously, we have been listening to her new albums and her songs and watching the film, and we think it's amazing. And, you know, she was in our Spotify top artist for the year. I mean, I'm just speaking for myself. I don't know about you. We haven't shared that crucial information. (laughs) Obviously, no shade on her. I'm just constantly marveling at how this woman who is conventionally beautiful is one of the most successful women in the world and has been since being a teenager. So not even that it came to her kind of later in life in her 20s has always been at the top of her game, completely successful, living this one in a million trillion lifetimes, but has built her whole persona and her whole career and her whole back catalogue of music over being the quirky underdog who never has a win and is quite misunderstood and is kind of just always at the bottom of the pile and trying to crawl back up. And as an audience, we just eat that up. I would argue, though, that Taylor Swift is that. Really? Yeah, because, okay, of course she's, like, traditionally beautiful, but, like, she is way dorkier than Jennifer Aniston, okay? Like, I think Jennifer Aniston's putting it on a little bit, all right? It's (laughs) like, you're putting it on, I'm eating it up, it's fine. But when it comes to Taylor Swift, like, I remember seeing her at, like, this bushfire relief concert in Sydney, and she was, like, in her teens, and she was just... (laughs) She was like a baby giraffe. She's just like so (laughs) awkward. Like she's obviously really talented, but I think that like – she always remained like that Southern girl at heart. And when she was mixing with the cool Hollywood peeps, I think that she was kind of like ostracized and like put out on the outside a little bit and made to feel like an outsider. Like I do truly believe in Taylor Swift being a loser way more than I could ever believe that Jennifer Aniston, daughter of successful soap opera actress John Aniston was ever really that much of a loser or underdog. Like I think her career has, yes, been pigeonholed in certain ways, but I think she was kind of on that wave of accepting those roles in rom-com after rom-com after rom-com. And I really felt like then she got reached a point when she wanted to do something different. And that narrative had kind of already been set for her publicly with the media. But with Taylor Swift, She's never shied away from that, that she is a loser in every kind of interview. She is kind of like a dorky loser. And I think that's why she has such a big following. Like, I do think, Taylor Swift, I'm sorry, I do think you're a loser. And I am too. Like, I'm proud to be a loser alongside you, you know? No offense to either of us, Key, but we're not a loser like Taylor Swift is a loser. You're not a loser if you're selling out stadiums, if you're one of the highest paid, most successful no, recording of artists of all not. time. If we're talking about success, yeah, we have to remove that, right? Two things can be true at once. She is obviously obviously very successful but at her core she is that dorky girl who would write the number 13 on her hand and be like yeah and did that stupid rom-com movie where she was playing that dumb character opposite Taylor Lautner and it was like that is Taylor Swift that character is Taylor Swift and she's like grown out of that of course because she's like a young woman now but like 
She can still be super successful and still be a bit lame, you know? I'm not kind of critiquing her personality because I don't know her. There's no way for us to know what she's like in real life. And I think the same with Jennifer Aniston. Like, we're not critiquing any of these women's personalities. We're kind of critiquing who they actually are if you just look at the stats and numbers and then the message and storyline around themselves that they sell to further their careers. And I just find it so interesting that Taylor Swift's career, like the way she speaks and her lyrics and, you know, her songs and and the stories she tells on stage between performing – They're all very much that kind of, I'm an underdog, I'm an outsider, I'm quirky. And people believe that. And I think it's to do with the power of her cultivation of her art and all that sort of stuff. A very skillful thing to put that message out while you're standing on stage playing to like thousands of people and commanding that stage and looking beautiful and performing in that way with that much confidence, with that much money and with that much kind of accolades behind you to put that message out and to have people still receive it. Like that's an interesting thing in itself because no one kind of holds that against Taylor Swift. I'm not saying that they should. But I feel like it's a particular kind of message that only a few women in the public eye can really lead into that without it becoming a trope that makes people angry or we get tired about. But I think it also has to be said that we only like an underdog narrative when it's very palatable. And I think Jennifer Aniston and Taylor Swift make that story very palatable because they are beautiful and rich and successful. So there's no sadness around being an underdog and an outsider. Like it's a very hopeful narrative instead of a sad one. And I think that's probably the biggest selling point. Well, thank you so much for listening to The Spill today. And remember, while you're listening, please follow us and leave us a review. If there's any present that you'd like to get Keen Eye for Christmas, I mean, we do accept cash, but if you're a bit short on cash this year, please just leave us a review and tell us we're great and we will gladly accept it. This episode of The Spill was produced by myself, Laura Brodnick, and Madeline Joanno with audio production by Leah Porges. We'll see you at mamamia.com.au. Bye. Bye. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.